0: The ancient Chinese believed that the heart was the center of human cognition, and therefore the heart and the mind are one. Wellness Continuing offers spiritual tools and resources to elevate your heart-mind. At wellnesscontinuing.com, you'll find meditation music with binaural beats, a podcast all about consciousness in the afterlife, blog posts, and a new YouTube series called Dreamtime Wisdom with Catherine Lundine, and much more. Sign up for the Wellness Continuing newsletter and stay updated about new offerings and resources. Visit wellnesscontinuing.com Wellness Continuing, elevate your heart-mind. Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Julie Hoyle is a spiritual teacher, also known as an awakening activator, and author of four books on awakening. She's also an artist and teaches people how to do intuitive art. Julie was raised a Catholic and has been an empath, spiritually sensitive, and a lucid dreamer since childhood. Julie's mission is to help people remember their true nature, which includes shadow work in order to see things and themselves as they truly are. Listen now as Julie shares about her extraordinary awakening experience that took place during a lucid dream. So welcome Julie, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so
1: much, I'm thrilled. You know, it's taken a little time to get here, as you know, with uh, one thing and another, but it's just such a joy
0: because I do love your show. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. So I have a burning question that I need to ask, and that is, how are the Bahamas? (laughs) Well, look, you know, I'll tell you what's really great is
1: that things have opened up, you know, fairly recently actually over the last few weeks so tourists have started coming in and um, I live on Paradise Island which is a lovely vacation spot and we have Atlantis here and Atlantis apparently was completely booked solid over Christmas and into the new year and also Atlantis has been fully um, sorry Bahama has been fully booked as well and there are a lot of tourists. And I think it's because people just want to get out and about. They want to travel. They want to forget all about the pandemic and everything else that's going on in the world. And it's really, really good and very heartwarming to see this this movement and this change. And it's it's lovely.
0: It sounds lovely. You said you live on Paradise Island? Yes. Oh. Yes, Um, which
1: is a very small island. It's two miles by one or something like that. It's very
0: small, but it's very sweet. It sounds so lovely. So back to the uh, subject at hand here. Um, I'd like to open by asking you one thing. What is the one thing that most people don't understand or misunderstand about the awakening process?
1: i'll tell you what i think the big thing is uh, and that is the oftentimes that the, the view is that if you have a radical awakening or a subtle awakening it doesn't matter which that all your life's problems will be resolved and somehow you'll be able to see everything from an elevated perspective and you'll just sail through life feeling just very calm and peaceful (laughs) and nothing will perturb you you know and i think that that has been kind of sold in many ways by some teachers that um you know everything that you ever dreamed of in life will suddenly land at your feet when you have an awakening and of course that isn't true it's
0: far from true actually Right. I've heard this before, Um, but you had your own awakening and this was something very new to you at the time. You weren't Mm -hmm. versed in all of this literature and this understanding. No,
1: I I really didn't have a clue because it was so long ago. It was in 1989 and I was just reflecting on that just a little while ago. And, you know, back in those days, uh, trying to find information. But first of all, you you know that you couldn't go online and do research. and um, you know the, I mean there were some books available, but 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 not as certainly as many as there are now. And um, of course there's communities and groups now where you can have conversations with people, but then there was none of that. So um, yeah, I mean I was thrown into this radical awakening. And I'd been raised a Catholic, so I had no, there was no sort of context with respect to how to try and sort of understand what was happening at all. Um, But I just trusted the process. I knew that I, you know, I really recognized, obviously, that there was this radical shift happening and everything that started to unfold and present itself, I could feel energetically was part of this shift. So I didn't sort of question it or fight it. I just went along with it. And I was open to it because I trusted it and I trusted the place it came from. And so that was, I guess, that made it easier. You know, I wasn't prone to trying to analyze everything, which I think can be a stumbling block.
0: Right, because that's where most people go. They want to analyze and use the intellect to figure out what's going on.
1: Yes, and it's impossible. The intellect can never wrap itself around transcendence or, you know, shifts of consciousness or, you know, the awakening of the self, however you want to put it. Um, it the mind just cannot grasp it at all. And so there has to be a willingness to let go of the mind, to let go the sort of the default mechanism which is to analyze and question and maybe ask 10 different people and instead just trust your own intuitive knowing and and stay in that place which is a place of 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 being willing to to kind of step out of your comfort zone and be wide-eyed in amazement and just go with the flow of what is happening and trust that you will be on the way and whatever you need to know will be given to you and that of course is always true but there can be fear around you know not you you know i can't figure it out and i don't know what's coming next so (laughs) so it can be it it can produce anxiety in people but thankfully i i never had that problem ever i just have always trusted this 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 divine flow or whatever you want to call it you know grace even before I knew that that was what I was doing that <laughs> that had been my 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 way of kind of operating the world. i I had always known that was there was something deeper and more profound and something more true, so to speak than 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 what was presenting or being presented, you know, in terms of the story and one's personal narrative and all of those things. so and i you know how do you learn that i don't know i just came in with that <laughs> it's not like i was taught that as a child you know i just i just trusted the feeling quality of it i guess and 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 I, the other thing i suppose is that um, I'm not what you would call a sort of an intellectual person. You know what I mean? I mean, I, okay. I've used the intellect to get degree, my degree and do training and all of these things, but I've never really prized the intellect and put it on a pedestal because I always have known that it falls short. This, there was something in me that recognized that the intellect wasn't it. And, and I'm very grateful for that because I've seen that people that really prize their intellect. Can be can become very stuck, especially you know, in the spiritual kind of growth experience
0: because, um, it, you know, you can block yourself, right? Walk us through your experience because I don't know if everybody, um, or a lot of people have had a similar experience or have heard of such an experience that you've had. It was quite extraordinary to my understanding.
1: Yes. I mean, it really was. And I still, you know, even when I revisit it now, I'm like, (laughs) jeepers. So, so, you know, I'll, I'll make it as pithy as possible, but you know, my husband and I had moved, we moved to the Bahamas in 1980 and I came with this feeling that there was something I'd always known there was something more that I was seeking. So I was always looking for someone to sort of prove that what I knew was the truth. And, and I would be disappointed because I would you know, I'd meet people, but it was like, they didn't reflect what I was looking for. But um, I had a back problem. And I was in a lot of pain. I had two bulging discs. And I was on bed rest for about seven or eight weeks, and I saw specialists, and they didn't really help me very much. And um, at one point, I just kind of realized I needed to shift it energetically. So I said a prayer, and I essentially said, "Look, if God, if there is a God, and you can help me, please help me. You know, heal this back pain, and I promise." I'll go to church because that was my idea of what spirit being spiritual was. I'll go to church because I was raised as a good Catholic and I'll start praying and doing whatever I need to do. And, 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 and that happened, you know, that I started to heal literally, honestly, the minute I said the prayer, it was like, there was this shift and I could actually feel that there was a change and things were being healed and, You know, I had people turning up the doorstep, offering, you know, Reiki sessions and energy work and so on and so forth. So um, I started, after that, I started to go to church. I found a unity church here in in Nassau, which was lovely, non-denominational, beautiful teachings. And I also heard that there was a meditation center very close to where I lived, which was, it was literally less than a mile away, and it had been there for some years. And I hadn't known. So I said, you know, I've always wanted to learn to meditate. I'm going to go. So I went two or three times, and I just felt like a complete and absolute failure because I could not meditate. I would sit and try. First of all, I couldn't sit in you know, cross-legged. And um, so then I found somebody gave me a stool and I sort of knelt. And we were given a mantra, which was Om Namashivaya. Which, Om is the primordial sound. Nama means I bow to, and Shiva is Supreme Consciousness. So you're, you know, essentially saying I bow to Supreme Consciousness itself. And you focus on that. So I was trying to do that, but my mind would not leave me be, and I just, just couldn't settle. So I spent the entire sessions looking around the room, gazing at people, and thinking, how do they do it? You know, they look so still and they're so quiet, and here's me. And it's just not working. So, you know, I that happened two or three times. I kept going and giving it a try and it didn't, it didn't work. And so after the third time, I said to myself, that's it. I've tried to meditate. It doesn't work. I'm going to give up on it. The people were very nice that I met. I respected them and they're professional people. They weren't crazy. And that was important to me. Uh, So I had nice conversations, but I just said, you know, I've tried, it doesn't work. So I went home that evening and then I had a lucid dream and I've been a lucid dreamer since from the, you know, the first drew my breath, I think. And a lucid dream for those people who don't know is when you wake up in a dream and realize this is a dream and I'm dreaming. And so I I was completely awake in this dream and it's, it looked like I was in India. I'd never been to India at the time, and I was walking up a hill with one of the women from the meditation group. And we went into a small sort of cinder block building. And at the back, you know, or I should say at the front of the of the hall, there was a low kind of wooden tucket, which is like um like a platform, and there was a big, big bellied Yogi sitting there cross-legged with his eyes closed, wearing a loincloth with his eyes closed. And the minute I laid eyes on him, I recognized he is the one I've been searching for. And he is the embodiment of God or source itself. He's realized the self. I knew all of this when I saw him. Um, I didn't say anything, obviously, but um, my friend said, lie down. She instructed me to lie down. And then she just said, repeat the mantra. So I repeated the mantra and then I felt a tap on the top of the head and I felt the most incredible energy just filling my entire being it was and and it was literally like somebody had plugged me into this amazing <laughs> electric source you know I could literally feel every cell in my body vibrating and pulsating and it got stronger and stronger and stronger and I started to levitate off the floor And I was trying to focus on the breath and focus on the mantra and, and it was at a certain point after several minutes, I could literally smell burning and I felt like my entire body was going to, my subtle body was going to erupt into flame or something. And then at that point I knew I couldn't hold it anymore. And I just came crashing down and I felt myself fall through time and space. And I landed in my chest through the heart and back into the body. And at that point, I knew also the physical, my physical body had not been, I hadn't been breathing while my subtle body had left and gone off where, you know, to this place. And so I drew this great breath, uh, you know, and sat up as I breathed. And my husband woke up and said, what's the matter, what's the matter? And I said, I don't know, but my life will never be the same again. And I had no clue what had happened, but I knew the dream and what I had been given was absolutely life changing and it was profound. And it proved to be so. I, I you know, the day after, I had this kind of um, intuitive kind of this drive or message to go to a bookstore close by, and I went there, a Unity bookstore. And the same woman who'd been in my dream was standing in the bookstore. And I turned around, there she was, and I said, Oh, my God, Cheryl, I had a dream about you last night. And I started telling her. And then she said, Oh, my God, you've been given Shaktipat Diksha, which is the yogic terminology, terminology for initiation. Shakti, the awakening of, this, of the spiritual energies the Shakti. And Pat is the the deliverance or the kind of the giving, the transmission of the awakening of that power. And that is what had happened. And she was just... So I went to Cheryl's house house later and she gave me a book. She said, you should read this book. And when I opened the book and looked inside, there was the photograph of the yogi who'd been in my dream. Bhagavan Nityananda is, is his name. And he was a profound he's known as a profound avadut um, a great uh, being who came into his into the body into the you know as a child he came in self-realized and so he would travel around India giving Shaktipat and uh he's well, very well known in India for 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 doing that and then for guiding people in in dreams which is what happened after after Shaktipat I then started well I should say started I continued having lucid dreams but they were much much more profound and they would be they would be teaching dreams and initiation dreams that continued and dreams with with great beings I'd never met or heard about before, like great yogis, like Swami Ram Tirth. I met him in a dream. And then later I went online and, you know, saw his photo and that was him. And he was a great mathematician a great yogi and uh, Jesus. I had, you know, many dreams with Jesus and, you know, with great beings from other paths, faiths and traditions, as well as great shamans and, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. I've had many dreams with him too, even though I'd never studied Buddhism at all. So um, it's, you know, it was and continues to be the most incredibly profound gift because it's a gift that keeps giving. And um, it, it, it really, the force of it just changed
0: my life in so many ways. It's it's an extraordinary story, wow! <laughs>
1: um,
0: I know, right? I, I need a few minutes. <laughs> I know,
1: I, I I know, and it's yeah, really, and and yeah, I mean, just I, I made a list some years ago of of the number of great beings who had come, come in dreams to give teachings and initiations, and. I got to sort of 27 28 or something like that and then just had to stop because I knew and I didn't want to be disrespectful but I knew that you know not not in 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 not every case had I been able to to get you know get the name of the great being ordinarily what I'll say is you know thank you so much you know please tell me what is your name and Sometimes they'll joke and they won't tell me and sometimes they'll tell me and then I have to really kind of focus and and make sure I I remember it because oftentimes when you're coming out of a lucid dream and into waking, you can forget certain things. So I've trained myself to really remember and to bring the information back, especially if I'm asked to share something or to tell a specific person something. I really, I, I really have to get it right. Otherwise, it feels like a disservice and a dishonouring to the great beings that have guided me. So, so that's that's really been ongoing, and um, I do whatever I must to do according to
0: what they want me to do. Right. Yes. So it's interesting that, that these beings are all from different backgrounds. It's not just. You know
1: the, yes. the yogis yes it you know and you know native american shamans and uh tibetan shamans as well have given teachings and initiations i even had a dream where i found myself in somewhere like the amazon or the amazon area or something and i was with these native women who were painted with green like a green paste and they put me through this ceremony and they gave me initiation and it was really profound. They had me bow to the four directions, and then at the end of it, I could feel myself being pulled back to waking. And I said, "You know, please tell me who you are. Which tribe are you?" And the woman said, "I." It sounded like Ayuwaka is the way she said it, Ayuwaka. And so um, I came when I woke up. I wrote it down, and then a f- two or three days later, I met somebody at half the yoga class I used to go to and she'd just come from the Amazon and she was telling me a story and she said she does initiations and trainings with an ayahuasca shaman and I knew it was the same I knew that so I asked her to spell it and you know and 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 then I did some research and you know the herbal liquid that they drink and they use and they paste was exactly what I'd seen in the dream and I had never heard of ayahuasca, or ayahuasca, however you say it, you know. Um, and that had never been any part of the, my reading experience or anything I'd ever heard before. So so those things have been consistent. And, and the thing that I've come to understand is the reason that so many great beings from different past faiths and traditions came to give teachings is because at a certain point... I was asked to write a book about my awakening, which I did. And then I was asked to work with people. And, of course, what's happened is I've worked with people all over the world from different past faiths and traditions. Some are Buddhists, you know, some are atheists, some have, you know, Christians, Some and, 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 and some are Sufis. And so because of my direct experience and because of the teachings and because of the initiations, I can speak to those people from a place of authenticity, and we can meet. You know, if I hadn't had those direct experiences, then it, 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 I think it would be kind of... I mean, even though, you know, you meet in the heart, you can use that language of the heart and all of those things, because what I've been given is, has been so specific to a certain teaching or path
0: it's it's kind of easier to have a conversation certainly is yes it's so diverse and I wonder if you have explored is this anything to do with a past life connection for you because from my understanding having these connections that are very opposite to our own cultural upbringing can be yes yes
1: yeah, you know, I mean, um, my intuition is that is likely the case, which is why I recognized Nityananda immediately and I was looking for him my whole life. Um, and also, I went did go to I eventually did go to India in 2000, January 2001 and I stayed there at an ashram with my husband. We were on staff there for I think it was 18 months or something like that. But the minute, it was very interesting because the minute we landed in Mumbai, I literally felt this great kind of breathing out of relief and this feeling, I've come home. And we stepped out of the airport, you know, and into the craziness and you could smell smoke in the air and there's like, you know, it's craziness. But I just, there was something deep within me that just bowed down to it in terms of the recognition of being in the place that I've been before. And, and a few interesting things happened. And one is that we you know, often would go to temples and go meditate and pray and so on and so forth. And, and the, one of the first times that I went there, it was really hot, very humid, and I was wearing flip-flops, just the rubber kind of flip-flops. And so um, I just stepped out of them and then I took my right foot and you know, between the big toe and the next toe, I just kind of picked up the flip-flops and just put them on one of the one of the shelves where everybody stored their shoes. You have to take your shoes off before you go into a temple. And it was just innate and it was second nature. And then I happened to look to the side of me and there was an Indian woman doing exactly exactly the same. I'd never done that in my life before. I just intuitively did that and knew. And the other thing that happened was, you know, I was wearing Punjabis with the, you know, the loose cotton pants and the tunic top. And um, I was talking to one of the Indian woman women who was on staff as well. And she was talking about the tr- tradition of wrapping a sari. I knew how to wrap a sari. And I also knew she was talking about how you know, and that the right way of wearing the Punjabi is that you tie the, the, the sort of like a string tie and it goes under the navel. And I've always, since I was a kid, whenever I've worn pants, I cannot, I've always have to wear everything under the navel. If anything comes up above the navel or wear, you know, even on it, I won't, I just can't. <laughs> it's just like, so it's these, these kind of small, kind of very subtle indicators to me that had, just was so natural and second place and you know whatever. And that but you know, I just said I had this I've done this before. I knew I'd done this before. And um and again I just was so comfortable in India. I just absolutely loved it. And I love the people and you know I loved being in the in the town where Nityananda we, that's the place we went to was the, his kind of final resting place They you know the locals built a temple for him and there's you know everything was about Nichinanda. and so it was just wonderful to be there and just to, to sort of breathe in the energy of all of that you know and it's true of all of us we're called to I think revisit you know even if we can't go to a place physically We're often called in terms of our reading or our research or the things we love. We're called to revisit and have those kind of items or touchstones around us
0: to to, to help us remember. Because it's really about remembering. Right. Because we're born with a programmed forgetting about our true nature. Yes. And our lives are a way to develop that remembering and, and trigger that knowledge that we have within us
1: yes yes you know and 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 these things show up at a certain point you know i mean it took me i often say you know it took me to be on my knees to with respect to having a back problem to finally you know say okay (laughs) let me just give up here and pray to god and you know let god take charge if you like of my life and that's what happens with a lot of people it happens that way we have to
0: suffer before we wake up usually there's that's an impetus for us to to awaken to have some sort of trauma mm-hmm. or issue or um, you kind of hit the wall and say now what with your life what what's what's next in life what do i do now where is this all leading to yes yeah the midlife crisis perhaps yes exactly
1: perhaps. <laughs> yeah you know and look the thing as well is that that in in my case and i think it's true in in quite a few people's case i remember that when i was about 14 i looked at looked looked up at the sky and said i can't do this you know please close everything down because since i was a kid i'd been i was very empathic and intuitive and i'd have these lucid dreams and i would know what people were feeling, often what people were thinking. And, in, you know, it's psychic, all these psychic abilities and all these things. But there was no one in my life who I could speak to about that. And so I always felt like a bit of a freak. And I learned very, very early on to stay quiet. Uh, I would have visitations from angels and loved ones who'd passed, you know, all these things. Um, but, but, you know, when I was 14, I remember looking up and saying, just close this down, take it away. I I just can't deal with this. I don't know what to do with it, actually. I want a normal life, so to speak. And so that, that that thing, everything did close down. And it wasn't until I had the back problem in, in my early thirties that things just opened up again because I couldn't there was a deep unhappiness in me because of that closing down. There was the, the you know, those innate gifts weren't being allowed to be expressed. And when, whatever we deny in ourselves, you know, we create pain from, you know, the effort and the energy it takes to sort of suppress our gifts, our innate gifts and our innate knowing and so on, is enormous. It takes a toll on our lives we we don't feel like we're really living and that was certainly true in my case that I just felt this terrible discontent and um, just deep unhappiness that, that, that and I knew I was looking for something and I didn't know what it was. So that was part and parcel of, of really what what began the I think the, the problems with my spine. and of course, you know everything to do with the spine, in that from the yogic perspective, with respect to the Kundalini, the awakening of the Kundalini or the spiritual energies all linked to the spine because the energy centers of the chakras are based in the spine and the, 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 the energy moves up the spine and, you know, it eventually merges in the crown chakra. So it was absolutely classic that I was having a back problem. Because I was definitely blocked, you know? and um, and it really wasn't pleasant. It was terribly painful, uh, you know, in every level, in every way. So, um, and touch wood, as I say, <laughs> I don't have I don't have back problems,
0: which is a gift. <laughs> Absolutely, it is, and you've turned. That situation and your gifts that you've always had into uh, a teaching. Now, now you teach people all about this. You have four books, and a fifth one is in the works. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's yes, exciting. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it really is. So, um, the first book is an awake titled "An Awakened Life: A Journey of Transformation." And let me just preface all of that by saying I had no interest, if you like, or no idea or anything that I would be writing. It wasn't part of my plan at all. But what happened was I had a lucid dream and one of the great master yogis came in the dream and she just walked up to me and said, when are you writing the book? So I said, what am I supposed to write about? (laughs) And then she just kind of looked at me and gave me one of those looks and then she walked away and, and I woke up the next day and thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to write a book if I have to sit down and figure it out, you know what I mean, and just wrestle with it and because I don't want anything to do with the ego. If it comes from the ego, I'm not interested. And I just, that was it. That, I made that statement, that was it, and left it alone. And then some weeks later when I was doing a house sit at a beautiful house, I sat down having coffee on the balcony. And I just started to hear it was like a download, so to speak, and I just took a pen and started writing it down, so that was the first book which is re- which really details the awakening that happened and 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 then the the many visitations and that was sort of the unfolding of all of that and um yeah, and you know, and it really helps I think it really helps people who go through their own awakening, even if it's not the same story then they can at least kind of compare notes with respect to the psychological processes that that also underpin the same sort of movement of consciousness. Um, And then after that, I wrote Living an Awakened Life, which is really just um, very simple, very accessible self-inquiry, little stories, and then self-inquiry practices and exercises in support of people recognizing the truth of who they are, living true to that, honoring it, and then doing their own self-inquiry and self-reflection. And then the third book is uh, meeting the shadow, finding yourself, which is about doing shadow work. Because as we know, you know you can have the most amazing spiritual experiences, out of body experiences, or meditation visions, whatever, whatever. But really, unless you've dealt with your psychological issues, your own personal darkness that itself will block you from embracing and recognizing and living true to the light of who you are. So the light and the dark go together. And it's really important to do that work around honoring your own darkness and not seeing it as a negative. So that book, um, I think was, when did I publish that last August or the August before? Um, And then I wrote a book on lucid dreaming, Wake Up and Say Yes. And really that came out of, again, working with people who want to know how to lucid dream. You know, are there any practices? What's the quickest way of doing it and all of these things? And so, again, it's kind of anecdotal with respect to my story and so on. And then giving very simple, accessible practices and also pointing to the truth of what you're already recognizing and seeing and knowing to be true which is the self itself or source itself you know? <laughs> and having these aha uh-huh moments and recognitions, you know, rather than thinking like you've got to study for another 10 years before you get there,
0: wherever there is, you know? <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, the American uh, spiritual teacher Ganga Gangaji was yes. taught by her teacher. Stop the search. Yes. Stop seeking. Yes. It's all here yes. now.
1: Yes. Yes. So I really speak to that and point to that in in that book on, on lucid dreaming, because the truth is this, you can do all the practices you like, you know, with respect to trying to lucid dream, but unless you are present and aware in your waking state, you're not going to be able to be awake and present in the dream state, because the two go hand in hand. So the more present you are, now the more that will show up in the dream state. And that's just the truth of it. And vice versa, actually, is the way it works. So yes. So <laughs> and uh so that's four books. And then the, the fifth book that I'm in the kind of in the middle, two thirds into right now, is a collaborative effort titled The Shadow Work Diaries. The dark the darkness you fear holds a treasure you, you seek. And I really, I I thought I was done with speaking about shadow work because meeting the shadow has been very successful and, you know, has, has done really well. But um, I just had this sudden download to share, you know, to create a collaborative um, book and to share the incredibly... Um, potent amazing (laughs) shifts of consciousness that clients have had over the last i don't know how many years 10 years or so that i've been working with people and they've shared their own stories of of what has happened to them through their own shadow shadow um discovery and the amazing things that have come out of it because the the thing with your shadow is that it often contains your creative energy and your creative impulse and so a lot of people I've worked with who've knuckled down and done the work have suddenly started writing, you know, writing their own blogs or doing something creative or, you know, sh- make, you know shifting gears with respect to their work. And it's really incredible what happens. And, um, and it's really worth sharing, I think, because, because it's easy to kind of label yourself as a spiritual seeker and keep going after the highs, and the, you know, dreams and beautiful visions in meditation, and really try to run from your own psyche and your own psychological darkness. But when you actually do that work, and then you can bring, as the yogis say, you make the sun and moon rise. So in other words, you're bringing into balance the light and the dark, and there's a meeting place between the two, and that place is truth or source itself. And so you're not you're not kind of thrown around <laughs> by the darkness that you haven't you haven't acknowledged and, and and worked with. So, so all of this is really important.
0: Yes. So it sounds like uh, addressing and facing, you know, feelings of guilt or shame, regret, yes. all of those things. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: All of those things, which oftentimes, especially in the West, we're, t- uh, we're taught to to hide or to dismiss or to try and sort of pull away from and look on as a bad experience or whatever and not acknowledge any of it and also not even realize that whatever we don't acknowledge and meet and greet in our psyche is really holding the upper hand you know it will be in control of everything and that's why there can be a tendency for people to have the best intentions such as new year's resolutions i'm going to do this 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 and this and then that lasts a week because (laughs) you know whatever the irritation or anger or feeling lack of self-worth or whatever that is there and has probably been there since childhood um hasn't been dealt with right Mm -hmm. so there's this there's this in you know incredible power to doing this work and um As daunting as it can often be, it's also filled with the most incredible discoveries because you realize, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) I hadn't recognized or realized that, you know, I'm the one holding myself back, you know, and this is often you know, and a lot of this as well is, is, is what is inherited from our mother and our father and their beliefs and what was passed down to them. So obviously, you know, when you do your shadow work, you're changing, you're transforming these, these lineage patterns that go back generations. Right.
0: Yeah, people are talking a lot about that lately, a little more openly now, about the lineage, yeah. the traumas that are passed down, like you said, it's, uh I, I don't think, anyone really thinks about that 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 could be an influence
1: oh yes yeah you look and we you you know we we can take our own sort of testimonial so to speak if we each think about the voice we hear in our head that is our mother and what our mother may have said that isn't always correct it's you know maybe what she's inherited from her mother it's not always loving it's not always kind yeah. And, um, you know, it's or a teacher, you know, if a teacher said something that it may have been an offhand comment, but it can be searing if we take it on as truth. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, it may well say more about that teacher than it does about, you know, what's happening within the child. But it's very easy to be hypnotized by language that comes from, you know, a mentor or a parent or a teacher because as kids, you know, we think that they they, they know the truth. Yeah. And so if you have somebody that's super critical or sarcastic or whatever the story is, then it can be very damaging. So this is why doing this work is is so incredible. And also, it, it, you know, the yogis say that when you do that work, you, you lighten the burden on Mother Earth because you're not carrying the weight of that around with you anymore and those people even if you're not necessarily speaking about anything spiritual or anything to do with the shadow or any you know whatever when you've done your work you can welcome someone in and meet him or her wherever they are even in the midst of their pain or their anger and you're not rushing in to try and fix it or medicate it or ignore it or shut it out or whatever you can just be present to it and 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 the, there's tremendous healing in that because for the most part if you haven't dealt with your own shadow energy so to speak then it's very difficult to be with somebody who is kind of mirroring your anger <laughs> you just want to pull away right or you can get into that kind of together and then, and then it becomes even worse. So, so so there's there's just this incredible potency when you've done your own shadow work, you're able to meet and greet whoever it is that shows up. You can be with somebody that's really angry and they might be very angry with you for no reason, for no good reason, (laughs) but you don't take it personally. You can just realize that it's not personal and you can just be with it. And, and, you know, at least then there's an opportunity for that person to be able to see something or heal, you know, and, um, make their own, have, you know, create their own change and begin to see differently. Definitely. So I'm looking, yes, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and this is what, this is what the yogis mean by the alchemy of grace. They say that base metal is turned into gold when there's an awakening and a shift of consciousness and there's the recognition i'm not the mind i'm not the body i'm much more than that and that is really anchored by doing the shadow work then this is where this is the kind of the burning you know the burning away of of that which is not true that which is not the self and, and so what happens is, is this this inner process that kind of starts to, and it is like a fire, it's fire. <laughs> because we when we see something that doesn't sit well, at least we have the courage then to look at it and start working with it and own it, right? Which is what shadow work is really all about. And then over time, it, it, it just is transformed in the fire of your own self-awareness or your own self-recognition. This is what self... Realization is it's realizing the self as both the light and the dark. And we say both as if it's separate, but it's not. (laughs) You're talking about, you know, one consciousness or one awareness or or source itself, which contains everything, the light and the
0: dark. Such an important book. I'm looking forward to it being published because it's such a... Mm -hmm. It's an incredible yes. topic, the shadow work, and uh, there's more to learn, so thank you. I, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yes, thank you, yes. There's always there's always more to learn. Right?
0: <laughs> always, yes. And then you have a YouTube channel. What is new with your YouTube I do. channel? Well,
1: okay, so recently, I just had this kind of hit to um do a few interviews short interviews with people that are out there doing the work so to speak so um I've I've you know spoken to artists and writers and um yogis and people that are just kind of living their lives and doing their inner work and so I've got a few of those interviews with more planned you know as the year progresses and then I've got a whole series. I think the last time I counted, there's maybe 85 or something like that. Mini, kind of mini videos where I just, a uh, topic lands and I know I need to speak about it. And so I'll speak about it. So I'll maybe speak about self sabotage or um, being honest with yourself or, you know, the people that trigger you or whatever, you know, whatever's showing up. Or sometimes when I get an email and I'll get a question, somebody will write and ask me a question and they'll say, will you deal with this in the show? i say, yes. Okay. So, so then I'll speak to that. So I've done a whole series of those and they've been really fun actually to do. And I think, you know, short five, 10 minute videos are are good. You know, it's, it doesn't, it's not a big time investment. And um, yeah, I've been having
0: fun with that. So yeah, it's kept me busy. That's a good thing. That's very good. And you're active on Instagram. That's how we've connected. So you've yes. got quite a following on Instagram as well.
1: Yes, and I'm te- you know I'm teaching as well, running events and programs, and then I do you know counselling as well nice. and mentorship programs. Um, so, so yeah, and I do artwork sometimes when I, I haven't had that much time lately, but, um, I do, I run intuitive art workshops and trainings and I do have a couple of courses on course craft as well, but you know, it doesn't, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm teaching a group of teenagers, you know, seven, grade seven or eight or nine or whatever, you know, or, or adults who've never painted before, or whether I'm, you know, running a workshop on, you know, your lineage doesn't limit you. That was one I did recently. It's always about the same thing. It's always about shining light on what feels true for you and honoring your own seeing and honoring the truth of who you are prior to your story. It's always about that. So it might be different language. So, you know, with a grade nine student, they might be saying, oh, what color should I do the background and what should I put here and what should I put there in a painting? And I'll say, I don't know. You tell me, what do you think? What feels like the right thing for you? What feels like the right color for you? So it's always about stopping that this this habit of anal- analyzing everything and trying to figure it out, you know, and going to that place prior to the, the movement of the mind, and listening to, to, to what you're hearing from that place.
0: Yeah. Definitely through the heart, mind. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Otherwise, you know, we get stopped in our tracks and you know, we become frozen.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And then wonder why can't you figure anything out? Yeah. I don't know, you know, what I'm doing, or, you know, whatever the story is. And of course it's not true.
0: We always know.
1: Truth. Yes, <laughs> and truth itself, truth itself, is very simple. It's never complex. You know, the other thing is, I will often say, what is the the most obvious, simple next step? What does that look like? Yeah, it's that. Simple. It's never. It is. It's never convoluted. It's the mind that convolutes.
0: Yeah, Eckhart Tolle talks about that. That. Every life is simple. Things are simple. It's that we complicate them. End of story. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> yes. And you, like I said, ask ten different people what their opinion is, and of course you get ten different answers. And none of those answers, as, as beautiful as they may be, may, might have relevance for, for you and your life wherever you're at. You know. So, but you know, I, th- I think somehow in the West we've we've been trained not to trust ourselves and to give away our own wisdom through the church, through believing that the priest knows better or the minister knows better or, you know, the rabbi knows better or, you know, however that sort of plays itself out. And and, and just dismissing what you your own inner guidance and not living true to it, you know, giving it away, letting it fall away. And of course, this is where the misery comes in. Because when we don't trust ourselves, then that's when we make decisions that that run counter to our own well-being, and they drain us of our energy, and they don't make us feel like we're we're alive. It's like living in a
0: way that's dead. Certainly, and it it uh, fuels the fear and anxiety in us.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And giving, you know, always giving our power away. Mm -hmm. The power of our own knowing, the power of our own self-recognition. And it's really time to put an end to that. And that's why I'm just, I'm so vocal. And, you know, one of the kind of sidebar things of that is I'm very vocal on Instagram, especially about honoring an artist or a writer, you know, because I do see a lot on Instagram where people who present as being spiritual will just, you know, take a, a, a screenshot of a piece of art and don't give credit to the artist and utilise it and present as if it's sort of there sometimes as well. That happens a lot. So I will speak up about that. And um, because, because nobody wins when that happens. You know, we do win when we promote other people and we share an artist's work and we give full credit to that artist, you know, it's beautiful. And, um, but, but when there's this kind of habit of just taking and using it as if it's your own, own words or own images or own music or whatever, or own writing, it's, it's deadening. So I, I've spoken quite a bit about that, um, you know, on, on Instagram and in other places too, because, You know, if you're not honouring others, you're not honouring yourself. Right. And that is so important. So, so important. So, yes. And it's about being in truth with a capital T, right? You can't present as being a spiritual person if if you've, you know, borrowed somebody's artwork and passed it off as your own. Yeah. So... All these things go hand in hand. You cannot, if you, if you are committed to living in truth, you ha- truth has to show up in every aspect of your life and not just in select parts and the parts, you know, where you want to present in a certain way and, you know, no. hide out in others. So, <laughs> so the raw emotions, too, of being human, and expressing, you know, if you're feeling frustrated, feeling angry, whatever, you know, that's important too, to look at that and to look at what that's showing you and honoring that and, and letting that sort of play its part as well, rather than the spiritual bypassing thing, you know? Right.
0: Yes, that's a term that I hear a lot um, mm-hmm. to that addresses that, that that uh, explains ignoring the shadow, hiding the darkness. Yes, yes. Yeah. Not living in yes. truth.
1: Yes. And also, look, the, the other thing as well, and I've spoken about this a few times, but dispelling the notion that when you realize the self or become enlightened or whatever, you however you want to phrase that, <laughs> that you're not ever going to, you know, get angry or irritated or whatever, the the, 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 the human emotions still play out, but you don't drown in them. You know, it may pass through for like a second or a few seconds or whatever. It it does its thing, its energy, it moves. But you don't identify with it. There's a freedom in it. And it often has good purpose too, right? Sometimes anger and frustration show up because you're not taking care of something or you're not speaking up for yourself or you're not taking action in a certain way. Right. So, you know, all of these things are really important to speak about. Because there is often a belief that people like, you know, teachers like Eckhart Tolle or Gangaji or whoever don't ever get angry. And they're always like in blissful states and just, you know, it's so sweet. And it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> Tell it like it is, Julie. <laughs> It's not true. It's not true. Yeah. And, you know, if you've spent any time with an enlightened master, you know, physically and the physical... You know, and I have. I mean, ju- I jeepers when they get when they just blow up and <laughs> and they may say something as a teaching for everybody to receive, but but that's the truth of it that there, there is a movement and but they're not they don't they're, they're not trying to manage it or control it or you know present well. And we, and you know we all know what that looks like if you know somebody's trying to present well and they're really hungry and they're like gritting their teeth, you could feel it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the and a, an enlightened being is so free. or you know, she will just explode, say what they need to say, and then it's just kind of gone. It does that. The energy of that does its work, and whoever needs to hear it and receive it receives it, and then it's gone. And it's kind of in another way of putting it is like a parent or a teacher who, you know, my kind of academic work i i've had to pretend i'm really angry with a group of students because of behaviors that you know they haven't been addressing or whatever and you know and and i have to put on this stern voice and and talk really deeply um and you know and get the point across but it doesn't stick you know what i mean it's just like play it's like theatrics and you do what you need to do and then it just kind of goes off so, so so I think this is important to speak to because there is this 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 crazy hypnotic belief that when you become self-realized, you know you'll be kind of on the top of the mountain, nothing will touch you and you'll float around in your long robes and everything will be wonderful and, and it's not true. And also the other belief is that you won't suffer physical pain or conditions and again that's not true a lot of the great beings you know um ramakrishna paramahansa had throat cancer and you know uh, one of the great beings that i know had diabetes someone one of the other great beings had arthritis so the physical you know these physical expressions and whatever happens, you know, in terms of our physiology, play play themselves out. But they don't identify with the great beings, don't identify with what's happening. And somehow they're able to sort of pull their awareness away from the pain point. So it's not as bad. There might be pain in the body, but it's not as intense. And because they're not going to identify with it all the time, it doesn't have the same impact. But all of that is still there the movement of the mind is still there. The emotional you know, ups and downs are still there. It might not be as turbulent, but there's still, they're st- the emotions still play themselves out because of the being in the human body.
0: Yes. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think, you know, and that was part of the reason I think, for, certainly for me to, to so I wanted to pursue enlightenment in the beginning was because I had a very sort of dark, deep shadow that I wasn't aware of, that I was trying to run away from. And I think that's true of many people that they try to run from their pain and they think, you know, attaining heightened spiritual states of awareness will help them kind of leave that behind. And it's not true. You have to meet it, greet it and go through it. And, um, and that changes everything. Right. And then there's no more running. Seeking just comes to an end, which certainly, um, you know, it's happened here in my case. And I I wrote about it in the book, Um, Wake Up and Say Yes, where I just had this epiphany that, oh, my God, seeking itself is the problem, so to speak. Right,
0: Right. but that's important to understand. I think a lot of people have a different uh, notion about it. So it's great that you're clarifying that, Julie, and it speaks Mm -hmm. to your um, wealth of wisdom that you've acquired and share with people.
1: Yeah, yes. So, anyway, you know, we will each come to that point in our own way. You know, if you, especially if you're really committed to living in truth, you arrive at that whenever you're ready. I mean, you can't give up seeking until you're ready. It's not something that the mind can like you know, made this decision, that's my New Year's resolution, it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) You really have to go full tilt and try everything out that you feel a resonance with and you feel attracted to, and then at a certain point, it'll be like, (laughs) it's, you know. It changes. What what happened? Yes, yes, yes. You know, and again, I can speak from my own experience, but for someone else, it may show up differently. But certainly with respect to where I was, I mean, I've been a spiritual seeker for 30 years and I just got, I just started to feel really fed up and really kind of in despair about the whole thing. And I just had this epiphany and I just recognized that seeking itself was the obstacle and that I didn't want to be on my deathbed and say, well, that was a bloody waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and I was still there with my angst and like frustration, whatever. And, and I just, the only thing that I had any kind of um, interest in or, or desire, so to speak, to do in terms of practice was just to drop all the practices themselves and then deepen into the silence. Mm. So whatever I was doing when I was working, going around, you know, whatever I was doing, just I would just see how deeply I could go into the silence and see if there was any end to it, just see how deep I could go into the silence prior to thought. And I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that. And then at a certain point, there was an absolute unfailing recognition which has not left it remains that uh, the truth of who I am prior to the story prior to the narrative prior to the movement of the mind is already the self and what I had been you know what I had recognized in the great beings you know when you read a book or a poem by Hafiz or Eckhart Tolle and you have this feeling oh the place from which I recognize the truth is the same self, right. and it is already here. And I am that, and I have always been that. And 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 with that recognition, there was it was absolute, absolute recognition. And as I said, it has never left. It's like it sat up, if you like, right. and introduced itself <laughs> as being my primary of fundamental true nature so even if i have a headache even if i don't feel so good even if i feel a bit crabby or whatever the self is still prior to that thought or that you know crabbiness or whatever's going on it, it, it it's irrefutable it's undeniable it is always here and always will be here and has always been here i just had overlooked it (laughs) because i was i was so busy trying to find it (laughs) out there it's within yes yes and yeah and it's timeless and ageless and it never comes and goes it is always here and the body's subject to change of course the mind is subject to change the emotions are subject to change but there's something prior to all of that, which is is the truth of who we are. And that never changes. It doesn't come and go. It's always here. And um, we feel it. We have these moments where we feel it and it just is the most incredible feeling of being home, you know, because we are home when we're in it (laughs) because that is who we are. And, um, but, but we overlook that because we think you know the mind complicates everything and we think, you know, we have to discover something bigger <laughs> that's further away and that it takes lifetimes. And of course it doesn't take lifetimes
0: because it's always right here. It's a beautiful truth with a capital T. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Julie. I appreciate you so much and I love the work that you're doing and I love what you shared today. I'm, I'm so Thank grateful.
1: You. Thank you. This is delightful.
0: And yeah, really great. We can, uh, we can find you at juliehoyle.org, and all the links to your channels, your books, yes. everything that you're doing is on your website.
1: Yes, juliehoyle.org. You can also find me on Instagram at juliehoyleofficial. And, of course, I'm on YouTube at, you know, juliehoyle on YouTube. So, um, yeah, then there's plenty of free resources. And, you know, I'm very accessible. You know, if anybody has a question on any of my YouTube videos, relating to YouTube video, I, I always really try and respond as quickly as possible because I know, you know, people have really hard really heartfelt questions they want to ask about their own process and their own seeking or and the, their own discovery. And so I really try to as best I can honor that and be very timely about honoring that too. That's important. So
0: yeah. And I appreciate that as well. I feel like I can ask you anything. So you're definitely, you know, you keep yourself open to that. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. It just is wonderful really wonderful and i know it's not easy no (laughs) but it's 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 great to have a resource for people to go to to be able to hear these kinds of conversations because then you don't feel so alone and um, oftentimes you know the very questions we have are answered in these in these in these interviews and conversations and what a gift that is so
0: thank you thank you so much Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Julie Hoyle. For more on Julie and to purchase her books, please visit juliehoyle.org. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And make sure you check out wellnesscontinuing.com for spiritual tools and resources to elevate your heart mind. And make sure to join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.